0: Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Welcome back, Sue, our amazing counselor and hypnotherapist. Thank you so much for joining us today
1: oh you are so welcome it's always a pleasure to discuss these subjects with you shami and spread the information around
0: absolutely and we're talking about a really interesting topic today which i actually love talking about and it's about women who's struggling to lose weight and how it's highly connected to emotions i actually see this quite often in clinics anyone who's coming in struggling with weight loss we do various different things of course you know what's happening in our body and the biochemical reactions but more importantly what's happening in terms of emotions have we created positive or negative associations with food since childhood to be honest and i get it because carbs do make us feel happy but very much a short term very much it's a quick fix for the emotions so i actually encourage them to see sue our counselor and hypnotherapist and she does a combination of treatments and this is what we're going to dive into today so sue when patients do come to you for help with weight loss you know you do offer the hypnotherapy sessions but what do you actually see when they start the process with you
1: all right yeah because people often walk in the door or in the Zoom door, should I say, with the the expectation that we can make some fast, snappy changes. And that does not work in life, but we're trained to look for those short, quick answers. So it's interesting that I have to help them understand a little about how the brain works. And we've had years and decades of working our brain and neural pathways working in a certain way. It's not realistic to think that we can change that overnight. But I can certainly understand that under the pressures that are around us today, and especially when people have done long journeys where they go, you know, I've just tried so many things, I'm tired of this. They lose faith in something working. But there's that, well, in medicine, isn't it? If you misdiagnose, you mistreat. Unless you get to the core of the problem, you're not going to get answers. So this is what we're talking about here very much is often at the core. And You, with all your wonderful professional knowledge, you talk to them about the biochemistry side of things. And when those things are all sort of working right, it's like, well, then what else is there? And psychologically, we are emotional beings who think occasionally. And we don't see ourselves like that because we tend to think of ourselves as very cognitive. And it's in our culture, it's very much been that. We've had a lot of emphasis on cognitive, which it's super important. It's great to be analytical. It's great to be rational. But not everything can be answered on that level. People don't eat the wrong foods that don't work for their bodies because they think it's a good idea. They know that it's it's an emotional thing. And yet it's them that's putting it in their mouths. Right. So we need to understand the psychology. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's and you've said it many, many times, Sue, you know, behaviors are actually driven by emotions. What's driving mm-hmm. that behavior? And mm-hmm. emotions have they come on automatically? Is it unconsciously? It's through behaviors in the past. We're just into that automatic mode. And I'm going to share something quite personal because I remember the start of the lockdown in 2020 and I couldn't believe myself. I was actually craving carbs. It was really interesting when I really reflect and analyze what was going on. My mind actually went to carbs because I was seeking comfort. I was seeking some form of pleasure. And I go, wow, the brain is so powerful. And food is just such an easy, quick fix, easy to access. It's cheap, it's, it's so accessible. You just literally walk to the shops and you and socially acceptable. It. And socially acceptable. So Yeah. True. Mm-hmm. And it actually took a lot of awareness to realize, what am I doing? What's going on here? And just going deeper, because this be- behavior was driven purely by emotions.
1: Perfect. Yeah, and you make a really good point there. And it's super important we understand that that emotions are the petrol that drive our behaviours. So if we're happy, we smile. If we're angry, we grumble. We have action tendencies in behaviours. So what's the petrol? What's that's driving your behaviours? If you're eating the what you know think the food that doesn't work for you, then what's driving that? And you made a really good point there about like slowing down and paying attention to what the emotion was behind it. So that's a really good place to start, slow down and come back into our bodies because we're not taught to be in our bodies. Like I said, we're taught in in our culture, it's a, a cognitive heavy culture. We miss so much wisdom and data and information from our bodies and from slowing down and being present with the emotions. And when we get present with the emotions, we have to, it's like It's very similar to talking to a child. I mean, if you have a child come home from school, you can't sort of grab that child and and say, right, tell me, what was like today at school? How did that happen? Was it all good? Was it bad? Did anything happen? Tell me everything, right? You're all fine. Good, off you go. Children don't work like that. And our subconscious doesn't work like that. You need to have space in your life. And, uh, you know, parents will say that, you know, it's like as I'm tucking them into bed, it's as we're sitting there quietly reading a book. It's as we're sitting there, we're having a cuddle. That's when the child says, I had a fight with my friend today at school. And that's child wanting regulation. But those vulnerable emotions, they need space and safety. It's like they peek out and go, is it safe? And what reads to our brain as safety is slow and gentle with space and calmness and you can hear it in my voice and our minds and our bodies respond to that so we do that with kids but that's the sort of attitude we need with our subconscious mind to access that information because rushing around and it doesn't appear we don't get that information that's the data that's the petrol that's the emotion that's driving our behavior Absolutely. And I can share
0: so many of my stories as well of (laughs) that association of a treat, a reward with something sugary and it's just ingrained. And when you really think back growing up as a child, you know, oh, if you do really well, this is a treat and that's sugary or, you know, Mm -hmm. after funnily enough, like even after going to a dentist, if someone doesn't like it, they treat them. With something sugary, <laughs> which doesn't make sense. And I've actually seen it in my clinic when kids come in and the parents are yeah. going, if you behave in the clinic, let's go to McDonald's.
1: <laughs> yeah. the and it's just. Yeah. So we're forming it as a reward. Yeah, we're saying this is good and we're we're giving it a lot of status. And even the advertising that's around us, even the lollies placed at the checkout, it's, you know, it's very much a cultural thing too. It's, you know, in fairness to, to ours and our struggles with what we put in our mouths, there is a lot of pressure externally. But by far the most powerful is what's happening inside, and and like you said, you know that um from like you know when there's extra stresses on, that's when we're more likely to go for the sugars, yeah. That's when we start to go carbage. And I want to put in here this idea because Gabba Mata, who's a really interesting GP who worked in I think it was New York in, in the US anyway, and he made up this uh definition of addiction. And I'll read it out to you. Any behavior where a person finds craving and pleasure in the short term, but suffers negative consequences as a result of it and cannot give it up regardless of the consequences. That's his definition of addiction. And he goes on to say that even meditation, if you're doing it, and it's giving you negative consequences. For example, if you're, you know, missing out on family time and and your family suffering, that's negative consequences. That can be an addiction. So it's a really interesting way of looking at the way our behaviors are. And with food, it fits beautifully into this, right? And we're always doing addictions or addictive behaviors to avoid another emotion. And like you say, you know, like the, the little sugar hit you get from the, the carbs in the beginning of lockdown, that takes away you, that little bit of background anxiety that's there. It's just for a moment or two, but then you go back to it. It's like you're back at that new resting rate, which, you know, in the beginning of the lockdowns and all that, we were all so lost in what was going on and it was so uncertain. It was really stressful. And a lot of people started or their eating habits got worse during that time. Yeah. So and it that makes sense.
0: sense. It makes sense. And I love Gabo mate's work actually. Mm-hmm. And I was actually reading his latest book and it's true. I love how he describes addiction, not to be so hard on yourself and actually start asking the word, asking the sentence to yourself, what is it giving you? Because it's clearly yeah. giving you something and that's yeah. where you need to start. And I think you really highlight mm-hmm. that in your practice as well, Sue, because you just go gently into it rather than condemning or being the critic mm. it's actually being really kind to ourselves what is it giving to you giving it giving to you
1: right exactly and it goes back to that uh, the analogy I said you know trying to understand what's happening with a child and being gentle and quiet that same compassion is what we need to bring to ourselves we will never get it those answers by bullying ourselves and yet we often do come on so get your stuff together sort yourself out. What nerf? You know, you know better than this, that sort of, and we all have that voice. And I had a client the other day say to me, and I really loved his way of saying it. He said, I can't, I've worked out, I can't get rid of that voice, that critical voice, but what I can do is turn the volume down to 10%. And I went, yes, that's it. Can't get rid of it, but don't let it take over your life. So, Turn down that criticism. Make more space for that softness, that safeness, that compassion, and we'll we we've got more ability to shift there. And you can feel it, can't you? Because when it, you know, I had a teacher who was a bit like that, actually a bit like my negative voice, and and in her class, I just sat there like a frozen uh, person. I just my brain froze, I froze, and I was just like oh, in this scared response. I wasn't learning anything. There was no flexibility in me in there. When you have someone soft and gentle or we are soft and gentle with ourselves, then we create more flexibility. Then we are able to come up with more information and more compassionate ways to change things. Yeah? Absolutely.
0: So Sue, this is a great time. Do you have any stories to share of when patients are coming in for a quick fix for their weight? and saying, right, I wanna use hypnotherapy so I eat less, feel fuller, quicker. And it always surprises me when they do start the journey with you that you discover all of these new things that is associated Mm. with food. Have you got any interesting stories to share?
1: Yeah, And I love this stuff because it's so fascinating and it's so helpful to understand what's happening in those deeper waters of our subconscious, what's happening in those deeper emotions. Because often we touch the emotions, we go, oh, that's it, and we walk off. But if we start to hover and hang, we find out so much, so much richness there. So. You know, like you mentioned before about like with your story of the start of the lockdowns and that stress, that's a good example of how things can stop With the hypnotherapy, accessing, there's a couple of angles to that. One is that you can work on making stronger in people's minds. They want to focus on health, but they want to focus on being well, right? You can do those sorts of things. But if there's something deeper, if there's a fear deeper, you're really fighting uphill for that to happen. So what I have a tendency to do is I tend to go deeper and go what's behind this because if you know consciously that um, these carbs are reacting badly in your body then and there's impact on your life then you do know consciously then there's something else happening what's the fuel what's the petrol the emotional petrol there that's empowering something different some different belief something that says no i'm gonna eat that cake it's finding out those information and it's really fascinating what comes up there and for example there's one client i had it's not often a direct journey but what we do is we link it to the emotions what is the emotion and this is a really you know good point for people to be aware just before You go to eat the wrong thing. What is happening in that spot? Now, emotions come up and disappear out of our awareness in a snap. So it's like, sit there. What happens? And especially if you had a recent one that you really noticed that impulse to, I just, you know, one part of your brain's going, no, don't get the chocolate box out. And the other part's going, I'm having in the chocolate. (laughs) I am getting it. So what's happening there? What's happening emotionally? And it takes time to sit with the body and to sit with your mind and just slow down. But I do that with hypnotherapy in sessions, right? And we go, what's happening there? So fascinating. People start to feel experiences in their body. It's like there's a tightness here in my chest, they may say, or, or, you know, nausea in their stomach. What's it feel like? Can we stay with that? Can we honor that space? And so we slow and be with that and see what comes up and that information grows from that it's like it just it's like the you know the clouds clear and we start to get more information so they're coming back with emotional and lived experiences of what they know around that feeling that's there and it's driving them to eat the chocolates so if we slow and stay with that for example that one client I was referring to She actually came up with a lot of disruption in her childhood. She says this feeling, which didn't seem to make sense to her, like, you know, logically, but this is what her body was telling her. This feeling that comes up, I know this feeling, it's from when I was a child and things in the household were erratic. Dad was aggressive. Dad would get very loud, abrupt, and occasionally it would boil over to aggression and so there's a lot of fear and a lot of disruption and a lot of uncertainty, which is not where our brains want to be. So what's her brain looking for? Her brain. Calm and peace, I guess. Safety. Yes. Serotonin, dopamine, all those wonderful physical chemicals. It's going, there's too much uncertainty, too much unsafety. It's looking for calm, right? And so it's sort of, it's easy to sort of jump and go, oh, well, that sugar would do that, right? But it's more than that. Because as she's sitting with this emotion, what comes up, she remembers sitting around the table, the dinner table, which is interesting because it was quite a dysfunctional family. But there she is sitting there. They sat there every dinner time and ate dinner together. And she can hear her father saying loud and clear good little girls eat all their dinner. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so she's sitting there as a little girl and she's looking for safety and security. And here's her dad. Who's the most disruptive person in the house saying, this is how, you know, this is how you please me. And if I please dad, there'll be safety and security. So she, her brain's going, okay, right. Whenever you feel like there is disruption, which happens in li- our lives, all, you know, all the time, right? That life is disruptive to varying degrees. But when she feels that disruption, when she feels that insecurity coming on, when she feels like it's, things are getting shaky, her brain goes, I know what to do about this. We fixed this before. The only way we could fix it before was to be a good girl and eat all your dinner. And so for her, you know, she was she was eating more carbs, but mostly it's like she wasn't eating a lot of sugary stuff. Right? It was more the the wheats and that sort of thing. But she but it was about the food. Eating food gives me a sense of calm. So it was like a miswire in her brain, and it was really appropriate. I'm really punch on that point it was really appropriate when she was a child because her options on regulating her emotional state were incredibly limited so it was functional it was important and it was the only thing she could do at the time and it's her mind and her body trying to keep her safe it's trying to keep her brain calm so it was the best thing she could do at the time but she was no longer in that home and it wasn't working for her here in the present
0: day and you've made a really good point because we carry those habits they formed strong neural pathways and the more we repeat it the stronger that neural pathway happens and that means Mm -hmm. it's very automated it's almost like this is our survival toolkit and you carry it into adulthood but it's not serving us anymore so we've got to rewire and that's why you were saying it doesn't it's not a quick fix it takes time to rewire
1: yeah we need to access that part of her brain that holds that feeling because it's due. It's in it, it, you know, the, the dark pit of emotions. Often comes up that sort of terminology. People describe that differently, but there's a spot in people's brains where they hold pain or trauma, and trauma can be all sorts of degrees of trauma. Right? We all carry bumps and bruises from life and trauma to varying degrees. Some people got some really tough cards, but that part—if it's that dark pit that that negative trauma that fear you're like saying okay to your mind you know with hypnosis for example saying okay you'll you know you'll eat healthy well that's just not going to hold it because that fear is going to be triggered and your brain is going what do I know about this and it goes back to that same spot because that trauma is held in our brains in a different part to that cognitive smart bit that knows about time and space and can place things in the present the future the past when our trauma is triggered when those emotions come back we're in a different part of our brain and that part of our brain does not know about time so it goes yeah back in that spot again go back your safety mechanisms that you've well practiced and you're still alive today so it must have worked
0: absolutely yeah
1: so Sue, this is a great
0: um lead to what would hypnotherapy do for how would hypnotherapy help yeah.
1: Yeah. So, what I want to do is access that dark pit, or however she describes it, however it feels for her. But that part where she feels that pain, and people often make, come up with analogies of their own or metaphors. Often it's like the child in them. And so, that part of the brain that holds it, let's say it is the child part in them that holds that, like that little girl sitting at the table. And so, for her, I'd be saying something along the lines of, Wow, so here you are. You're just a little girl. You're so tiny and you're so powerless and you're sitting here at the table. How does it feel in your stomach? How does it feel in your body? Help her get a felt experience because our bodies hold memories as well. The, bo- the trauma is held in our bodies. So how does it feel in your body? What's that little girl's lived experience? Yeah. And as you see her, as the adult, you looking on at her at the table here, how do you feel inside towards her? And sometimes people will say, nothing. I feel nothing right? And that's dissociation, right? That's not us being a whole human being. Because if we were to see a child being terrorized, you know, and traumatized, we would feel something. But for sometimes people have learned that um, trauma and uh, emotions in the body are dangerous. So just don't go there. So we work with that. We go, okay, let's go slow here. Maybe we can just sit on a chair and watch her for a little while and just observe her. So you gradually building that window of opportunity. And it's interesting because once it shifts, it it starts to move quite quickly. But there's certain points where slower is better or faster even. Yeah. And then, but often people go, I just feel so sorry for her. Yeah. How does it feel in your heart? I just want to wrap my arms around her. Or some people say, I just want to pick her up and take her out of there. Yeah. Can we imagine you doing that? How do you hold her? So I process that. And just efficiency here, once I get them to feel that child in their arms and that I'll move their consciousness into the child, what does it feel like to be that child? What does it feel like now to be in the safe arms of a strong, wise, compassionate adult? Isn't that what your heart's been longing for? Isn't that what she always wanted? She was never a naughty girl. She was a good girl who was so longing for safety so longing for safe arms. Can you feel those arms around you? How does it do? And you see people soften and they often cry and tears are functional here. Tears release stress hormones and it's our brain. It's that part of our brain going, oh, I don't have to hold this trauma alone anymore because that's what heals. that loving attention is what heals compassion that's what regulates that emotion is someone coming close which in that with the hypnosis that's me but also the adult her coming close and seeing it and validating it and organizing it that's the other important one sometimes people will express these emotions and they will get validation which is super important but they don't get it organized they don't make it doesn't make sense to them in their daily lives still so organizing it so helping this child go understand that of course this was her best way of control it's the only control she had it makes sense and now we can soothe her can you hear as that little child leans against the adult can you hear the adult you can you hear the heartbeat? can you feel it co-regulating your body can you go into sync with that can we just sit and honor that and so it soothes that part of the brain so that part of the brain that's been dysregulated goes i don't have to hold this trauma anymore it's not that you forget but the zing the energy in it changes it soothes and it's like yeah i know this what happened in my childhood but it doesn't have the same power over me because that part has been regulated again does that make sense oh beautifully done and
0: i think our listeners will probably go on a bit of journey just from what you were saying because i was just (laughs) reflecting as well you know how we make these associations and it's become so automated and to the point where you know if you need it therapy such as hypnotherapy is such a great tool it's one of many tools that you can use absolutely
1: Mm, and insight that's the thing that we've learned is that insight alone is not enough so just understanding why I should eat better. And I mean, most people, by the time they get to you and me, they know basically what they should be eating, you know, you adjust, but they've got a fair idea of what a good meat food eating habits are, but it's deeper than that. And it's not enough to just know it cognitively. It's not enough to even know that, well, yeah, clearly this is to do with my childhood, you know, for various reasons. And I've heard other reasons, too. I've heard other people say, well, it's the only control I have. Like with hypnosis, my my parents were so controlling, but I could control this. It's the only control I can. Or it's that safety and that security in mum's cooking yeah so we need to know it also in the limbic system the autonomic nervous system the unconscious and the implicit memory so when we know it in those that's what i'm saying the cognitive we've been a cognitive society that we've, we've put so much emphasis on that and it's great but we also need this emotional part and so if we live know it in our bodies then we feel safer because we're always overeating or like gabba definition of addiction we're always doing that we're always driven that because we're trying to avoid an emotion which is why he says well, you know, stop. What are you running from? What is the emotional thing you're trying to get? If it's well, it soothes me for a little while. It distracts me from a little while. Distracts you from what? If you weren't soothed before and you're wanting looking for soothing now, what were you unsuited about? Absolutely. Yeah. So, see Absolutely.
0: oh, beautiful. <clears throat> what an awesome conversation, Sue. And I think it'll help many, many listeners. And it's just a touch of what hypnotherapy can do. But more importantly, the connections of food and our emotions and. how... Power mm. are driven by emotions any final words for our listeners sue
1: i think the big thing would be if we're not slowing down in our lives and meditation is wonderful but i'm not just talking about that i'm talking about in those moments where our lives aren't going the way quite we want or we feel emotions you know negative emotions or a turmoil coming up that's when we need to stop and pay attention So even if it's just stopping for five minutes or putting a note in your phone or something and addressing it later, what is that? Because that will keep coming back. That emotion will keep coming back until it's been resolved. So slowing down and being present, checking in with your body, asking your body, what does that sore shoulder mean? If it could talk, what is it saying? What's the message there? and listen to that. Just be open to it. It's just such a more complex way of living your life, a fuller way of living your life, and dare I say, a more human way of living your life. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much, Sue, for today. Thank you. You're so welcome.
0: Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take-home message today? Remember, it's all about progress and not perfection. And are you suffering from stress? Visit the Usawa Learning Hub on usawa.com.au for more resources on how to de-stress, re-energize, and reclaim your
1: health. Enjoy the journey.